the following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. It's a day that we've come and gathered as your people in your place, in your name. Lord Jesus, we've come to celebrate your redemptive work in the human heart. We've already celebrated, Lord, the, the transformation that you do in the human heart by washing away sin and making us clean, by transforming us into new people as we're born again. And in a few moments, we will approach your table, O Lord, where we celebrate the means by which that transformation comes, by the shedding of your blood on the cross Lord help us to remember what you've done for us for that is our task this morning and we pray for the help of your spirit in Christ's name Amen I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 26 this morning In the time that we have here together, looking at the Word of God, I want to turn our attention to preparation for what we are about to do as we gather around the Lord's table. This is not just a, uh, a religious ritual that we do. It's not just something that's a part of what happens at church occasionally. It's a very, very significant celebration for the body of Christ and in the life of a believer. And so as we approach the table this morning and prepare our hearts to do so, I want to go back to Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26. And I want to sort of just parachute in to the last Passover meal, where Jesus gathered with his disciples just before his arrest just before his beating and his crucifixion and his sacrificial death on our behalf. And I want us to hear his words. I want us to, in our hearts, sort of imagine the sights, imagine the sounds, imagine the smells of what was taking place on this night as our Lord Jesus transformed what was the oldest and most significant celebration in Judaism into the very thing that we will gather and celebrate in just a few moments, the Lord's Supper. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26, Matthew records this. He says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
It's a short but historically significant passage. The setting is Jesus and his disciples have gathered in an upper room. They are doing what they would have done each and every year. They would have gathered and celebrated the Jewish Passover. It was what Jewish people did. And little did they know, those at least who were gathering with him, that this would be the very last time that they would celebrate it with him. It would, in fact, be the very last time that they celebrate it, period. Jesus has gathered up his disciples. He knows that his time has come. He knows that the end is near. He, the sovereign Lord of the universe, knows the perfect timing of all things. He knows how events are going to unfold in sequential fashion very quickly in the next uh, set of hours. And so he gathers with these men. As they gather in this upper room, a few things have happened Judas has already chosen to betray the Lord. He has already gone to the chief priests and to the religious leaders, and he has sold out the Lord for some silver. So the die is cast. The plot is in motion. All of that is playing out behind the scenes, and a deep, dark, evil cloud hangs over the Passover. Jesus, the sovereign Lord of the universe, had just previously told his disciples, go into this city to a particular location and tell the man who owns this particular location that the king needs his room to observe the Passover. Again, Jesus knows all things. None of this is accidental. None of this is unfolding sort of out of control. He knows a man. He knows a place. It's all set up and ready to go. So the disciples arrive, they prepare the Passover meal in the room. Jesus and the remainder of the disciples arrive. And they sit around the table like they had many times before to observe the Passover. But this Passover will be unlike any that they've ever celebrated before. Before we walk through the text, I want to sort of just zoom out for a moment and remind you of an Old Testament theme quickly that sort of runs its way through the Old Testament and finds its culmination here at the table with the Lord and his disciples. Throughout the Old Testament, sacrifice has been a running theme. We see it all the way at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. You may recall the context is the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman have sinned. They've rebelled against their creator. They have sinned against the Lord. And in the midst of the judgment on the heels of that, in Genesis 3.21, we're told this. We're told that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. How did the Lord make garments of skin for Adam and his wife? He killed animals and shed their blood. They died in order to cover the sin of man and woman. And we learn really quickly here something about sacrifice in the Old Testament. We learn that there's a relationship between sacrifice and sin. We learn that sacrifice is necessary in order to cover sin. And if you were to flip your Bible over to Genesis 22, in a different context, we have Abraham and we have his son Isaac who have obeyed the Lord and gone up to a mountaintop where God has instructed Abraham to lay his his very own son on the altar. He's instructed him to sacrifice him, a living human 
child. And yet right at the last moment, Genesis 22 verse 13 tells us, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. We see a sacrifice. We see a death. We see blood that flows. And we learn from this little snippet in the, in the story of Abraham and Isaac something about sacrifice and sin. We've learned that sacrifice is necessary to cover sin, but here in this brief picture, we see that it is God himself who provides the sacrifice. God is the provider of the sacrifice. If you were to flip over to Exodus chapter 12, you would find the, the, the backdrop to the Passover celebration that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. And you'll recall that there was a crisis on the horizon. God was bringing his judgment onto Egypt and he was killing the firstborn of all in the land. And in the midst of that, he says to his people in verse 5, that the animals you must choose, that being the animals that are to be killed and their blood is to be uh, smeared on the, the, the lentils and the doorposts of your home in order to protect you from the death angel who is to come, he tells them these animals that you choose in verse 5 must be your old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. So we see in three quick snippets that sacrifice is necessary to cover sin. We see that God is the one who's responsible for providing the sacrifice. And we see that the sacrifice that is required must be without spot and without blemish. It must be perfect. Each and every one of these little lessons that flow out of these sacrificial moments point us to what Christ is about to do on the cross. His death indeed is necessary to cover human sin. He is the very provision of God, the one who has now provided the sacrifice. And he is, in fact, a sacrifice who is utter perfection without spot or without blemish. That theme of sacrifice and that theme of blood has been running through Jewish history for generation after generation after generation. And as Jesus and his disciples sit down to enjoy this Passover meal together. The theme of blood runs all throughout it. Matthew has already told us previous in this, in this brief uh, uh, book that the context here is Passover. The Passover is taking place. This is something the Jews had been celebrating now for 1,500 years up to this point when Jesus and his disciples gather It was the oldest of the Jewish festivals. And it was a very, very structured meal. It was a structured meal in which every single thing that took place was symbolic. It was very symbolic. And it all revolved around four cups of wine that were taken at intervals throughout the feast. There were all sorts of pieces and parts of this feast that were important, that were symbolic. We don't have time to spend much uh, energy on, on each of them, but I'll just mention a few. There was a, a bowl of salt water that was to be placed on the table. This salt water wasn't random. It was to remind them of the tears that they shed in the Exodus and in their enslavement to Egypt. 
There was a mixture on the table in a little bowl that was made of bitter herbs. It was made up of things like horseradish and and chicory and endive and lettuce and, and a spice called whorehound. It was a really bitter sort of a paste. And they would eat that at a particular portion of the meal. And it was to remind them of the bitterness of slavery and the judgment of God that had been on the Israelites. There was another paste that was made up of crushed apples and dates and pomegranates and nuts. And it was into this that they would, that they would dip their bread at a particular part of the meal. to remind them of the, of the clay that was used as they had to make it to fasten the bricks together in the slave labor that they were employed in in Egypt. And of course the four cups of wine that were all throughout the the ceremony and the meal that were to remind them of the covenant of God, that were to remind them of the the blood of the Passover lambs that had been shed on that particular day. In fact, it was the Passover lamb that was the, the central feature of the meal, a roasted lamb. It was the central feature of the Passover meal. And in Jesus' day, somewhere around 250,000 Passover lambs would have been slain sequentially at the same time in order for this meal to be kept by all of the Israelites. The lambs would have been bought on Monday of that week. They would have stayed in the home with each family from Monday until it was time for the Passover, at which point the family would then take that, that, that lamb and they would take them to the temple to the priest, who was basically a butcher, and he would then subsequently slay that lamb on the altar. And its blood would, would flow. This was to happen between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. on the day of Passover. He would slay the animals and he would sprinkle their blood on the altar. Just as they had sort of sprinkled the blood on the, the doorposts in Egypt. And so you can imagine 250,000 animals slain within just a couple hours of time. Blood would have literally just been flowing like a river out of the temple during that time it would flow out and it would run down the Kidron Valley into the into the uh, into the river there in fact the Kidron Brook would would be crimson colored for several days after the Passover as the blood continued to drip out into the water and as they gathered uh, around this table and celebrated the passover this is sort of the backdrop this is what's happening all around them in the city and so jesus gathers with his disciples and the, they go through this this very sequential meal and the first cup is passed and it's when the meal begins the first cup of red wine is passed and the host pronounces a blessing over the cup and it's filled with red wine and it's symbolic of that blood and In the midst of that, a young child would be at the table normally in a family setting, not here at the last Passover, who would ask for an explanation of the meaning of the Passover. And one of the elders would normally explain the Passover around the table. Of course, that was absent here as it was just Jesus and his disciples. The, the, the people who were participating would then sing the, a portion of the Hillel, which is a, a group of psalms beginning in Psalm 113. And here they would sing Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 together. At which point a second cup would then pass and come. 
And at that point, the host would break a loaf of unleavened bread and he would dip it into the bitter herbs and the fruit sauce there and would pass it along to the participants of the meal who would then eat that bread. And that unleavened bread had great significance. It, it symbolized the, the, the speed with which the, the, the Israelites had to get out of Egypt. And it also symbolized the clean break that they were to make with that season of their history and with the sin that was associated with Egypt. And so the bread was unleavened and they would take it and dip it and pass it and eat it. And it was at that point that the roasted lamb would be brought out as a part of the meal and they would begin to eat the roasted lamb. And then a third cup would go. And the host would pray over that cup. And the participants would sing the rest of the Hallel, beginning in Psalm 115 through 118. And it was this third cup. It was at this point in the meal when Jesus says these words to the disciples that we have recorded in Matthew chapter 26. And it's really significant what he says. Because no one would have expected him to say such a thing. Nobody would have expected him to do what he does. He takes the bread that he would have normally took and he blessed it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said to them, take, eat, this is my body. What? And then he takes the cup and he passes it around and he says, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood. My blood of the covenant. This is a really significant event because it is Jesus' last meal with his disciples before his crucifixion. But it's even far more significant because this meal ends forever the Passover celebration and it institutes something to replace it. The very thing that we celebrate this morning, the Lord's Supper. No longer will Passover be the most significant deliverance of God for his people in the history of his dealings with his people. Now another deliverance is about to take place that will supersede anything that the Passover accomplished. The Passover was limited in its scope. It only protected that generation of children from that one event of the death angel. That, uh, that generation grew up and they lived and they still died. What was about to take place on the cross was a different lamb was going to be slain. And that, that lamb whose blood was going to be shed on the cross would deliver all who would ever believe upon him. There was no limit to the scope of that sacrifice. Jesus' death on the cross was going to be so infinitely far in its significance beyond anything the Passover could ever symbolize. The Passover becomes only a shadow, a foretaste of what Christ is about to do on the cross for the sins of the world. And so Jesus takes bread. And he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. Again, that unleavened bread is symbolic of just the, the, the exit from Egypt and this idea that when they, were to, when they were to leave Egypt and head toward the promised land, they were never, ever to look back again. 
It was a, a new start, a fresh start. They were to leave everything behind. Even the leaven that they used to make bread with. Maybe you remember at some season in your life, this fad kind of blows through every once in a while where everybody gets all hip on this stuff called friendship bread. Did you ever have that happen? Is it like the Amish friendship bread? Do you, just nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. At some point, somebody gets on this, this kick of this Amish friendship bread and they make this starter stuff and they put it in a little zippy bag and it looks like just goop. And if you're their friend, they give you some and they tell you, let it sit on your counter and you squeeze it every couple days until it does its thing and at some point you bake it and it's a delicious bread, but you save some of that in your zippy bag and you feed it more flour and it grows and you separate it and then you go give it to some of your friends and you eat that bread until you're sick and tired of it and you're tired of seeing the zippy bags all over your countertop and you finally say the heck with this stuff and you throw it in the garbage, right? At some point, that's what we all do. But at least if you've been through that cycle before in your life, then you understand what starter dough is and how when you make a loaf, you save a little bit with the leaven and it multiplies and you feed it and you make more and you just continue to do that. It's how you keep the loaf going. When we were in Disneyland uh, a couple of months ago, there was a, a sourdough uh, factory thing in Disneyland. I don't know why you can ask Walt Disney. Um, but they were, they were celebrating the fact that the the sourdough that they were making was built off of this starter that was like a hundred years old. It went back, you know, centuries. Somebody's been saving a piece of that, you know, and, and keeping it rolling. Um, and, and so the message is because it's old, it's, it should be good. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just the, the marketing, but you get the idea. And the message here to God's people was you don't save the starter dough. You don't take any of that stuff with you. You cut it off and you eat unleavened bread for a little while because it's a new start and you're cutting off what was going on back there. You're to forget that, leave it behind. Not even a trace of the leaven is to go with you forward. And so they ate unleavened bread for a season. And that's what they did in the Passover meal. They would make some bread without leaven to symbolize this. But Jesus says no more is this the symbolism. He says this is going to now be symbolic of my body. My body. This is my body, Luke records in chapter 22, verse 19, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus says no longer when you take this bread are you going to think about leaven in Egypt and cutting off this old event, you're going to think about my body. My body, which is given for you. My body, which I'm about to give for you. My body, which is about to be brutalized. It's about to be beaten. It's about to have a, a crown of thorns jammed into my physical head and, and, and nails are going to be driven through my physical arms, ripping through the parts of my body and my feet. I'm going to be brutally beaten with a cat of nine tails and my body and flesh is going to hang like ribbons and and really all of that is the culmination of my life from birth up to that point that has been lived in a body for you that's what you're to think about when you take this bread from here on out my body which is given for you he didn't give his body for himself he didn't need anybody to give a body for him his body was given for you. He lived for you. He died for you. 
His body was brutalized for you and for me. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. My blood of the covenant. Jesus took the cup of red wine that had for generations symbolized the blood of Passover lambs that protected the Israelite children from the death angel. And he says, no longer is this cup going to symbolize the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. You see, that blood could never touch the most important problem they had, which was their own sin. He says, this is my blood now. It's now my blood. What the blood of all of those animals for 1,500 years could never do, reconcile you to God, purchase forgiveness of your sins, redeem your soul, my blood will once and forever do. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 26 says of Christ, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. The sacrifice of himself, once for all. The blood of bulls and goats is no longer going to be significant because it's going to be the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that people should remember. blood has always been a part of God's covenants with people. You could go back to Genesis 8 and see the covenant God made with Noah or Genesis chapter 15 and see the covenant God that, that God made with Abraham or you could flip over to Exodus chapter 24 and see the covenant God makes with Moses. In every case, there's a sacrifice and there's blood that flows as a part of ratifying the covenant. And you can think of blood being symbolic of, of, of ratifying a covenant. If you have ever made an, an oath or taken a covenant or signed a contract, you've ratified it by your signature probably. In ancient times, covenants were ratified with blood, with a sacrifice. In the same way that you and I would probably approach a contract and put our signature on it in ink, would say this, I ratify this contract, I, 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 I deem it valid. That was what they did with blood. And so every animal that had been sacrificed previously pointed to the blood of Jesus that would be shed to ratify a new covenant. A new promise that God was making with his people. And it also symbolized something else. Blood in the midst of a covenant also symbolized the price that would be paid or that was expected to be paid by those who violate the covenant. When you ratified a covenant with blood, you were in essence saying, may what happened to the animal happen to me if I break my covenant with, with you. And so it's called the blood of the covenant for that reason. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 9 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no ratifying of the covenant and there is no forgiveness to be offered. 
But Jesus understands all these things, and it's against that whole backdrop that he knows that everybody around the table fully understands that he says, this is my blood of the covenant. It's my blood, and it's going to be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Christ, the the final Passover lamb. Thousands and thousands and thousands of animals were sacrificed, and they could not take away one single sin from anybody ever. But Christ Jesus, the final sacrificial lamb, by his death and by his blood, the perfect, unblemished sacrifice provided by God himself His blood is sufficient to fully cover the sins of all who believe upon him. The Bible tells us that Jesus died around the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. by our time. 3 p.m. on the Passover. If you were listening at the beginning of this sermon, that time might ring a bell to you because it was between 3 and 5 p.m. when all these thousands of sacrificial animals were being slaughtered in the temple and the blood was flowing. It was right in the middle of all that, at that exact moment, that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain for you and for me. And as blood flowed out of the temple, his blood flowed down a cross. And it flowed for you, and it flowed for me. His blood, symbolic of his very life, leaving his body. Flowed out of his hands, and out of his feet, and out of his side. Graphically demonstrating, graphically demonstrating the price for our sin that he had to pay. And so Jesus tells his disciples, this, this cup, this wine, no longer does it have anything to do with bulls and goats. It's now my blood of the covenant, a new covenant. It's my blood that's sufficient to fully cover all of your sin. It's my blood by which I ratify a new promise to you. If you will forsake your sin, if you will confess it, if you will repent, if you will turn from it, if you will submit your life to me, trusting me alone for the salvation of your soul, my very blood will cover your sin once and for all, forever. You'll be forgiven. You'll be reconciled to your creator. Your soul, your very soul will be redeemed. Redeemed. so the blood of the Passover has been replaced by the blood of the cross. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It was such a monumental moment. No one could have imagined it coming, although Jesus had been talking about what was about to happen for some time. But the disciples never forgot that moment. They didn't fully understand it when it was taking place. But it wouldn't be very long as they stood at the foot of a cross from a distance and watched it unfold. And the Spirit of God would later bring to their minds the remembrance of this meal and his words. And they would understand. They would understand. 
And it was so important that Jesus told them to keep on doing that meal. Not the Passover, but the Lord's Supper. Because he never wanted them to forget his body and his blood. And what those things signified and what they meant. He never wanted them to forget the gospel and what it means at its heart. He never wanted them to forget how desperately they needed a savior. How desperately they needed a covering for their sin. He never wanted them to forget how desperate they were in the reality that they could never provide a covering for their own sin. That God would have to provide it for them. He never wanted them to forget that he was God's provision for their sins. Perfect, spotless Passover lamb whose blood could more than cover everything. Every, tell, every time that we gather around the Lord's table and we take this meal together, that's what we're doing. We're remembering these things. We're obeying the Lord. We're reflecting on our own lives and we're remembering how desperately we need a covering for our sin because our hearts are deeply flawed and broken and sinful and our rebellion is steep. We need to be reminded that our good works and our religious life and religious rituals can never ever save us. It is not a sufficient sacrifice for our sin. Only a sacrifice that God himself provides for us by his mercy and grace could be sufficient. We need to remember, and it, we do indeed remember as we gather around us, that Jesus Christ is that provision for our sin and that there is no other. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, but by me. I am the only sufficient sacrifice. So as we approach the table, I pray that you'll remember those things. Reflect on those things in your heart. And as we do that, I leave you with Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we're healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every single one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray together as we prepare to gather around the Lord's table. Lord Jesus, we marvel at your sacrifice. We can't fathom it. We can't possibly understand the love that would drive you to give your body and your blood for us. But as we gather around this table, we 
declare it to be true, we understand our sin. And we understand the price that has to be paid for, that a covering is needed. We understand that you have to provide the provision for us. And you've done that by the laying down of your own life. As we approach this table, Lord, we, we search our own hearts and we confess any known sin. We would never dream of approaching this table in a way that would dishonor you by harboring known sin in our lives. And so we come before you in repentance and confession, asking for your forgiveness. burn into our hearts and minds the significance of this meal as we share it together and meet us in this ordinance, we pray. Christ, that you might be glorified. Amen.